We get into this company and we have the same boss from when we're 16 to, you know, 35, 40 if, you're, if you stay that long. Welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, where you will experience the captivating world of professional ballet. On this show, you will hear what it takes to make it in the exclusive world. Each guest will share with you their struggles, their I've made it moments, and their advice for success. And ultimately, you will learn what it is really like to live your dream. Join your host, Kimberly Falker, and today's inspiring guests as they take you on a behind-the-scenes journey into ballet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Balancing Point Podcast, the top-ranking podcast on all things dance and ballet. And this is episode 67. And today I continue with my series on You Asked, I Answered, where I present guests that come directly from listener requests. I'm so excited to share with you today's interview as it was done live in the Lincoln Center Plaza's David Koch Theater. And I do want to give you a heads up that the interview sounds a bit echoey and sometimes is filled with loud background noises. And this is because we were literally inside the theater, and while we were there talking, there were men moving around great objects, and so it kind of, you'll hear it in the background, but it certainly does not uh, get in the way of how great this interview is. And either way, I know that you're going to love this two-part live interview as it is unedited and allows you to kind of feel as if you're a part of our conversation. Today's guest is Ellen Barr, and she presents a very unique and really amazing journey in dance from being a soloist with the New York City Ballet to now being a filmmaker, as well as the director of media projects for New York City Ballet. So let's just dive right in with the interview with Ellen Barr, part one. All right, so today I am actually sitting in the middle of the Lincoln Center Theater, the David Koch Theater, and with Ellen Barr. So this is really a super fun experience today. So I just arrived a little late via subway, so we're going to talk fast and furious and get everything out. But um, thank you, Ellen, for joining me. And so just to kind of jump in, I read that you started... Um, dancing with SAB quite young. How did that happen? Because you weren't from here, right? Uh, I grew up uh, about an hour and a half north of New York City, so um, not that far away. But yeah, I'm one of the few people that went through uh, School of American Ballet from the very first year all the way to the very last year before getting into the company. Um, It's kind of rare. And my mother had been a dancer in Russia. Um, My parents emigrated from Russia in the 70s, and I was born here. And uh, so I I started taking with my mother when I was little just because she was kind of dragging me to classes that she was teaching. Um, But she very quickly put me, decided to take me to SAB uh, because she knew that it was the best school in the country and it was close. I mean, not that close. (laughs) An hour and a half drive is is So did you guys drive rather than train? Yeah, you know, um, my parents would switch off and when you're younger, you start out not every day, like two or three times a week. So at first it was pretty manageable. but I also, you know, I did the all the performances that the kids at SAB get to do with New York City Ballet. So I was in the Nutcracker, I was in Capalia, oh, wow. I was in Mozartiana, I was in I was an original in Peter Sleeping Beauty, one of the original oh Garland girls. Goodness. There's still a costume with my name on it somewhere, Aww. a little costume. <laughs> um, so that experience was really priceless. So I'm really grateful for my parents for making that sacrifice because they could have easily sort of 
waited until I was older, but right. getting to perform with the company when I was little will just always Seal the be deal. a precious memory. And it was how I fell in love with the company, and it was how I fell in love with the idea of becoming a professional dancer because I saw all the dancers around me and I just wanted to right. be like them. I thought they were the most glamorous creatures in the world. Um, but then when I was 14 years old, uh, I had to be at SAB every day and it was starting to become a bigger commitment. So I was lucky enough that SAB um, allowed me to move into the dorms okay. because they don't have that much space, you know, no. so it's, it's a privilege to, to be given that space. So I moved into the dorms when I was 14. Was that a tough decision for your family to move at that age? I guess you were still fairly close by. Yeah, still that. close. Um, I remember they kind of sat me down and, and they were like, at, at this point, your life is veering towards making sacrifices right. about schooling and things like that. So they were like, do you really want to do this? Like, you can stop now. Like, you should really think about it. It's a difficult life. Don't right. do it for money. You won't make any money. <laughs> they had this conversation with me. And I I just didn't really have any doubt. Um, I, love I that. You know, and I... I'm sure I was influenced by the the glamour of getting to move away from home at 14, and I had made so many friends in New York. That's true, yeah. You know, so I'm sure I was, I wasn't purely influenced by the love. It's like it becomes your community, right? Um, your family. It's really. your family, and I fit in so much better at SAB than I fit in in my, you know, middle school and high school in suburbia. And part of that was because I was. I was always leaving to go perform and to go to the city, right. so I, I did have a split life. But I, you know, New York really appealed to me. Everyone at SAB appealed to me. I loved that world, and to to get to move into it and live in it was just a dream. So, did you spend all four years of your high school here? Then I spent. Um, I did ninth grade back at home. I'm a little young. Um, oh, for, for your age. grades. Yeah. Okay. So I did ninth grade back at home, and then I did tenth, uh, and then I combined my eleventh and twelfth years of high school uh, into one year. So I did actually you do graduated online or the one of the schools that they provide. Um, I went to a school uh, like an alternative public school called the Beacon School. They were really accommodating and That's helpful, great. and um, a really good school too. You know, I mean, New York City public schools get a bad rap, but it was, you know. Um, they didn't believe in tests, so it was all papers and presentations. That's it was really in-depth work. It was it was very difficult, actually, and they had a high standard. So I didn't really feel like I sacrificed anything. I was always pretty well-read on my own. Yeah. And, uh, it was all pretty easy for me. What seems like almost like a common thread of almost everybody that I interview, and plus in the world that I see through my daughter, is it's a, for whatever reason, it's a very academic environment. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I haven't met many ballerinas that aren't also straight-A students, you know? Yeah. There's something that high-achieving personality, you know, yeah, there, type A, I guess you call it. <laughs> and I think discipline and yeah. perfectionism a little yeah, bit, yeah. you know, like, you don't stand in a ballet class, like, attached to a bar, listening to all the things that are wrong with you day after day <laughs> without some kind of drive, <laughs> you know? Staring at yourself in the Star mirror. Yeah, you have to have a, a drive and a... Um, Thick skin. The idea that a thick skin and a, the idea that you're working towards something else, and I think that translates very well to academics. Yeah, that's true, yeah. So you went there through high school. What age were you when you were um, asked to be an apprentice? I was 16. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And that was I still today one of the greatest days of my life. What happened? Um, you know, uh, 
I was in D, which is like the, the last kind of like the highest level at SAB. And I knew that this was, even though I was fairly young, I was 16 and I was going to turn 17 that year. I had been at the school for so long that right. I knew that it's kind of now or never this year because it's like, if they, if they don't want me now, they're probably not going to want me next year. You know, good point. So <laughs> they know me pretty well by now. So, um, <laughs> uh, I really, it was a make or break year. I had actually, um, I had actually gotten an offer from another company um, the previous year. I had done workshop my first workshop when I was fifteen, and I got an offer from another company, and it was. And that's really- because other companies come and watch the workshops. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's it's a big event. All the big. Uh, directors of all the big companies in the U.S. and around the world come and they look at SAB's sort of graduating class and I'd gotten an offer from another company and it was a really good company and it was so hard to know what to do because I was only 16 and I was like well do I take this now because it's such a good offer or do I wait and see see, you know maybe I could get this offer again or get another one if New York City Ballet doesn't work out but I really wanted to be in New York City Ballet. How'd you make that decision? Well, I just, I talked about it with my teachers at SAB, you know, and I think they're like, hoping for a little grain of, <laughs> yeah, stay here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't make those kinds of promises. No, so they were, still... they were, they were basically just like, you need to follow your heart and you are young and you know, you don't have to, you know, Trump. it's not like you're 19 and this is really like, you should take this. It was like, they were like, you have a little wiggle room. You, yeah, know? you were only 15. <laughs> well, I was, I was 16, 16 at the time when the right. offer came and that was in the, in June of, uh, 1997. And then, um, and then the following fall, Peter Martins started coming to class to, and the rumor was going around that he's choosing apprentices for Nutcracker. Oh gosh, how nerve wracking. So he watched class, I think for like two weeks straight. And I remember I, had one leotard that I thought I looked the best in. So I would <laughs> watch it, it is. <laughs> every night and wear it every day because I was like, I'm not going to wear a second-rate leotard. I'm only going to wear my favorite leotard every day. So every day for two weeks, I washed my leotard at night and wore it every day. And I noticed one of one other girl doing the same thing. And I like three days into it, we looked at each other and we kind of laughed. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and it turned out that I got with her, uh, I got into the company with her and one other girl <clears throat> in my class. And it was, you know, we got called to the office and... I was like, I hope this is what it is. Maybe I'm just in trouble. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, we were we were told, you've been invited to be apprentices, and we were just so, so excited. I was Aww. like walking on air. It was such it's a great such deal. validation for oh, all yeah. those years. But yeah. then you have a year of, another year of stress, because that doesn't <laughs> automatically mean exactly. you're in, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... Um, you you get in as an apprentice but you immediately start having to prove yourself and you you start you're kind of at the top of the school and then you get into the company and you're the the very bottom of the company (laughs) and you're suddenly surrounded by people you've been idolizing and that is very overwhelming because you walk into class and you're like that's awesome that's awesome can Can i get an autograph (laughs) you like don't know where to stand and you're afraid yeah. of taking someone's spot and you know somebody you, like day after day will go by and you're like oh so-and-so talked to me today like there's fun <laughs> little moments where you're like surrounded by these people you idolize and you're starting to get to know them but you're also asked to perform at a level where you can be on stage next to them you know oh and my gosh. you have to learn fast and you know you're you're trying to not get a, a reputation for being slow because that can be harmful oh, you know gosh. as far as getting thrown onto things or cast in things and do you guys talk about it like back in your dorm rooms like kind of overanalyze how to proceed you know with fellow new apprentices is it kind of like 
micro breaking it down apprenticeship is such a i think if you if you're gonna be friends you know i mean it doesn't happen with everyone but it's like it's such a bonding experience like if, if you yeah. become friends during that period you're like you're gonna be friends for forever all yeah you'll be in each other's <laughs> weddings yeah exactly <laughs> i'm about to go be like at someone's uh the, one of the girls i got in with i'm gonna go to her wedding this summer so yeah um yeah it's like you know we actually hadn't been co- close friends me and the two other girls I got in with before that but once we got in we were just like we're a team we're watching out for each other and but then underlying that is a little bit of competitiveness because you're still not competing against each other but kind of if there's one spot available the next year you well, know. no one really tells you how many spots are available so <laughs> you know that there's a possibility that you can all get in so it, it doesn't I think if you we the three of us knew there was only one spot that might have changed the yeah, dynamic but, but you don't know we you know, we felt like there was a possibility that we could all get in, that there was a reason we were there. And Was it I mean, just three of you guys that whole year? There was a, a couple more apprentices came about like six months later. Okay. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, one of the girls that she, me and the one, one girl, Martine, we were very like, had to get everywhere early and we were really, and she was very laid back and kind of like Midwestern and she would just come five minutes before and she would get ready and she was always in her own good time, you know, but we would be like, where's Amanda? Where's Amanda? Call her. What if she, what if she didn't see the rehearsal schedule? Like we were looking out for each other Aww. in that way, like kind of like trying to make sure it's so daunting. You just want to explain things to each other, make sure you understand things. It's, you know. So, um, and we had a pretty easy apprenticeship and, you know, we, we were in all the big ballets that we could have been in. Like we did Nutcracker and then we did Stars and Stripes and we did Symphony and C. So, you know, I remember thinking these were so hard. I cannot believe how hard the core parts are in Balanchine really? ballets. I mean, it is just... And it's precision, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's just like, I mean, the core is not standing on the side. They're not standing on the side waving a rose. You are doing ballet steps. Waving a rose. <laughs> Hard ballet <laughs> steps. So, you know, we were doing these ballets and it was a test of our stamina, you know. I bet. It really was. And Did you get any sort of like pushback from the core members or were they pretty welcoming? there's always someone who kind of is like oh you're not in line or oh you were on the wrong count but they're also kind of helping you so um for the most part I would say everyone is is really welcoming much more than you You would expect expect. yeah Yeah. I think the media throws it out there is like such the yeah cutthroat evil thing remembers they remember what it was like you know so they look at the apprentices and they're just like oh you're cute I want to help you (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem like you get a lot of really snotty people in this industry and I don't know why but I have yet to meet somebody that's overly full of themselves even some of the ones that have been that are in the you know the top of the top and yeah so authentic and humble mm-hmm. and appreciative even to yeah. this day it's really I'm I sure they are out there with people who are really really good at what they do I think yeah. the more involved in an art form you get the more, even as you re- approach the top, the more you realize you always have something to learn. And I think that mm-hmm. humbles people. Because mm-hmm. I have found the same thing, you know. I think people who are, are truly good at what they do, they they don't have a chip on their shoulder. They just, they they want to learn. They feel lucky that they mm-hmm. get to do what they do. And It's true. And everyone respects the work that everyone else goes through. And I think even when you are successful, um, you do start to realize that luck plays a factor into things because there were so many talented girls in yeah, my generation. How do you differentiate? You know what I mean? And I cannot, I know I worked hard and I know I was good, but I cannot say that luck didn't play into 
you know, right. the fact that I got chosen and, and some other people didn't, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. I think the more you the more you know, the more you realize that you have to be humble and grateful and it's right. kind of silly and counterproductive to be egotistical or, or rude. And, and really it boils down to everyone's really just one injury away from retirement. <laughs> it's true, know? it's true. That so I mean, I think that, that keeps you humble versus yeah. maybe some of... Um, Another industry where maybe egos are bigger, mm-hmm. let's say Hollywood or something, yeah. where you know they're not worried about facing other than youth coming up on them. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, really, they're not afraid that tripping is going to cause them to yeah. have to retire. <laughs> or ego is part of their persona. You Good know, point. We, that's true. It, that's not a persona in ballet. That's typically um, valued, especially not Good in New York City ballet. Like a someone who acts like that. Is, Madonna, yeah. is not going to like be you know fawned upon they're gonna be like <laughs> yeah. sort of looked at like you're not a team player because yeah. I mean Balanchine didn't believe in that kind of that's neat that kind of idea and so I think it it makes better dancers and it makes it a more harmonious mm-hmm. company and better morale yeah and you know it's not it's not an industry that you can all of a sudden have this you know overnight success it's been a lifetime of hard hard work mm-hmm. and so I yeah think that there's that level of true yeah work ethic that's yeah. underlying it all yeah and I find it fascinating how many of you guys also in line with doing something this intense are also carrying a college load or doing other really unique mm-hmm. outside hobbies be it you know photography or writing or it's just mm-hmm multi-talented you guys are (laughs) I think sometimes um, dancers also feel like they need a creative outlet Mm -hmm. outside of ballet because when you take something you love and then make it your career also you know what I mean there's a a certain level of the you know some of the relaxation maybe it used to bring you doesn't bring you anymore so you kind of look for something else whether it's like some dancers design their own leotards or knit their own leg warmers or they do or like Julia Erickson with um, the bar food Oh, you know, I heard she's about this. Uh, the principal dancer in Pittsburgh. But uh-huh. she, uh, bar food, she created her own healthy snack bar alternative. Oh, that's she such and a good her, idea. I mean, they're in Whole Foods mm-hmm. or everywhere, mm-hmm. and they're building a, a huge. That's really cool. But she did it in her kitchen because <laughs> she loved cooking. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. really neat. Yeah. You have to look into it. <laughs> and she still dances full time. So. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. There's um, a dancer who uh, used to dance for Pacific Northwest Ballet named Jordan Pacitti who started his own fragrance and oh, beauty line. And we were in the dorms together, he and I. And every day when we were done with class, he'd be like, who wants to go to Bloomies and smell the new fragrances? And I was really? like, oh, who would want to so do that? Cool. <laughs> and like, just thinking it was the weirdest hobby. And, and now, and now it's, he has his own business, Jordan Samuel, and it's thriving. And he retired from dancing and now he oh, runs the business. to talk to him. I love that. You should talk to Jordan. He's amazing. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, yeah, I love all these, you know, kind of so many dancers I've talked to, like on the side, like Asakur, he loves to mm-hmm. bring his little piano and like he composes music, you mm-hmm. know, so it, it's so talented. But anyway, um, so you were an apprentice, and at what point were you asked to be in the corps? Um, it was about, um, I think, six to eight months later, and it was very anticlimactic. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> compared the, to the other, <laughs> at the time that I was an apprentice, you were only allowed to do four ballets, and if you did a fifth ballet, that meant they had to give you a contract. And we looked at Seems the like season. that changes, because I've heard nine, I've heard seven. Yeah, It was different in my time, because yeah. it was so long ago. But um, <laughs> uh, we know we were 
me and my friends, we were each cast in four ballets that season, and then Stars and Stripes was coming back from the previous season, and we had both been in it last time, and so we were like, well, if we're in it again, you know, then we're going to have our contracts. And so we kind of waited for casting to go up, and casting went up, and our names were on the core again for Stars and Stripes, and we were like... This Here we be, are. This is our fifth ballet, but no one has said anything. <laughs> so we saw the, the registrar, who, who uh, the rehearsal director who puts up the schedules and stuff. We saw him and we were like, Tommy, does this mean we have our contract? And he goes, yeah, welcome to New York City Ballet. And he just oh sort of raises by. Totally He's a very brusque, like, know, famously funny, that. brusque personality. And so we were like... <gasps> And we just kind of like screamed oh. and hugged each other. And so was it the three of you or just two? It was the three of us, yeah. So you guys went all the way through all together. Way to, oh, that's so together, awesome. Yeah. Are yeah. they still dancing? No, I think um, my friend Martine, who's getting married, she <laughs> she danced in the company for five years. And then she went to Stanford and then she went to Stanford Law. And now she's oh, aware. Well, there you go. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, Again, an overachiever. <laughs> and Amanda, I believe, lives in Florida with her husband and his children and, and teaches. So, oh, neat. Yeah. Does she teach dance or teach I school? I think so. I think so. We, we keep in touch on Facebook. Um, it That's seems so like fun. she teaches dancing, yeah. So did she stay dancing for a while then? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I had such a talented generation, you know, and I think and some of them, I think after five years or so, there was kind of a group that left after about five years, and I think it was just hard because um, there were just so many talented people, yeah. you know what I mean? And I, it was hard for, I think, for everyone to, to move as fast or as they right. wanted to, just because right. it was just, there's only so many ballets, there's only so many mm-hmm. parts, and there were so many good people. Um, so but I think, that's not a bad time frame, it's kind of a full, rich, exactly. it was mini a rich career, experience. even though it's not like yeah. a, it's still, I think that it gives you that uh-huh. validation that all those years yeah. were or something because shoot it's not a bad yeah. thing to have said that you danced with New York City oh, yeah. Ballet <laughs> I, mean, I think after like a certain amount of time some people say you know I've done this mm-hmm. and I think I kind of want to move on to something else but like it is I mean five years in New York City Ballet is so rich like you will have danced many Balanchine mm-hmm. Ballets Robbins Ballets travel the Martins, world travel the world you know you'll, you'll get a really good taste of what that's like and so some people say this is for Perfect. me I want to do yeah. this as long as possible and others are kind of like I've seen it I think I want to move on to something else mm-hmm. and you know they'll always have that that they can say that they did that and it, it helps them in every you know oh, yeah. college applications and yeah. my sister used to put on her college applications that I was in New York City Ballet oh my gosh and it would always inevitably someone would be like oh you have a sister well, in New York City Ballet it's a, it's, it's a topic and that's what I have always said that in any job that I've ever gotten yeah when I went to undergrad I went to Florida State, and mm-hmm. they were the only college in the nation that had a circus as one of their sports. So I performed in the circus for four years, and <laughs> that That's that funny. has gotten me in more doors than <laughs> than almost anything else. Yeah. You know, in yeah. every I'm I've had multiple careers, but in every career that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the talking point that makes you approachable, more likable, and I I would imagine for your sister the same thing. And interesting and memorable. It's something to talk about that makes you stand out from all the rest of the really excellent candidates. Especially now, I think that that's really helpful. You have to, yeah. Yeah. So you're an apprentice, I mean, you're in the core for how many years before you were promoted? Uh, I think eight years. Okay. Yeah. And some people move really quickly through the ranks and others take longer. And it's kind of nice that I think Peter really recognizes that people are on different timelines and he kind of respects that people are different and have different paths and there's no one path to getting that. And I think he's also really understanding of the fact that not every, you can't really be, I mean, you're supposed to be 150% all the time, but 
you just can't. Everyone goes through phases of getting Mm -hmm. injured. Everyone goes through phases of having burnout, you know, like, and he's very, I think, understanding of that. And he, he can see when people are kind of going through something and he can see when they're coming out of it and they're really hungry again and they're really ready. And I think that watch the way he's like handled both me and other people's careers. And I think that that is, um, kind of a skill maybe that a lot of people don't know about but is very important in oh, yeah. a director and someone who's trying to foster talent. Gosh, there's so many people that he's in charge of that's very, yeah. very impressive. Yeah. And yeah. then on top of it, that's just one little teeny piece of what he's in charge of. Yeah. You know, yeah. you think about all the rest. But that But I think he thinks takes... of it as the most important piece is yeah. like fostering well, it obviously dancers. works. Yeah, and it is working, yeah. Because, I mean, how do you kind of get through those that negative talk if you're in the core for you know a number of years and you're watching somebody brand new move past you mm-hmm. you know is that something that gets which happens to, to you? everyone right literally. right <laughs> um yeah but those are the moments that i would think it's so important mm-hmm. to find your own self place yeah. you know yeah. it's very important and i think um for me you know there was always people who were moving faster than me people who were moving slower than me and i think in life that's kind of how it is there's always someone doing better than you always someone doing worse than you and you kind of have to keep your eyes focused if maybe you need a break sometimes it's a good time to go out into new york seek an outside life meet Mm. new people get re-inspired or sometimes it's time to bite the bullet you know say i'm just going to work as hard as i possibly can and at least if i know i'm i've done my best then i can never regret you know that i didn't try hard enough and you know whatever comes to me comes to me and i can't control past a certain point but I can control what I do so right that's kind of and these that's are a mature way to think I, yeah, I would think that'd be hard to feel that sometimes. realizations that come through <laughs> so many times trying the wrong thing several times before True. you get there and sometimes it's looking at how your friends deal with things and sometimes you look and you say oh you know um maybe so-and-so is like has a has a bad attitude in rehearsal and I can tell why it's because mm-hmm. she's feeling ex way you know and I felt that way before but I can see that that person is is only shooting themselves in the foot and making it worse and so and then you see other people who really you're like wow you know like you know she's had such a hard year and look how she just keeps coming in and look it finally paid off you know like you see stories like that around you and you have to pick up the lessons where you can but I think Peter is very understanding that like if someone goes through a bad season or like does like has like a an attitude one day like he's he's not a person who holds grudges and he understands that he's dealing with young people who are creative and driven and you know perfectionistic perfectionistic (laughs) and he understands that like I don't know it's like most people they get to have like a you know their first job in high school and then this other job and this part-time job it's like we get into this company and we have the same boss from when we're 16 to you know 35 40 if you if you stay that long and it's like if we didn't have a boss that would allow us to reinvent ourselves like that would be really difficult because it's like no one is the same when you're right. 16 as when you're 22 as when you're 25 yeah. <laughs> you know so what I mean like having someone who understands that people change is really crucial yeah wow so you were in the core and then you wound up being promoted to soloist mm-hmm. yeah which was another like super amazing day that I never thought would happen really I had pretty much I really wanted it and I'd kind of pretty much been like you know I don't think this is going to happen for me because it had been eight years and some so many other people had gotten promoted before me um But I just had, you know, I had that kind of attitude going on where I was just like, you know, I'm just going to, like, do my absolute best and we'll see what happens. (laughs) Like, And I think um, I started to get, you know, bigger parts, like principal parts and 
you know, I still kind of felt like there are many people in the core who do principal and soloist parts for many, many years and don't necessarily um, get kind of the gift of that rank, you know, mm-hmm. because it's such a fluid company with, mm-hmm. you know, it's just because you're in the core doesn't mean you only do core roles. So right. that's like great because it gives people opportunities, right. but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get that rank. Yeah, you, you can't know? read into it too much. Yeah, so I didn't try, I try not to read into it too much, but I remember, you know, getting called into you know, being told, oh, Peter wants to see you, like, at X, you know, between the matinee and the evening, and coming in and being like, I, you know, again, like, am I in trouble, or am I getting promoted? I can't tell. So, so then he was like, you know, you all, I was with three other people that, um, oh, no, it was actually three other girls, and I think two guys, and he, you know, he was like, you guys have been working so hard and looking so good. It's, you know, it's his favorite thing. He loves it. Aww. He loves promoting that people. That would be so fun. He was like, you know, it's... And it's it sounds like from the people that I've talked to that he does it in so many different ways yeah where he, he like kind of shakes it up a little yeah which he is likes fun. to keep it interesting so yeah he was just kind of like you guys have been we all kind of converged on the office and we're all like eyeing each other and we're like, <laughs> like did you get a call the, yeah. i got a call it's kind of like on? on those reality shows like they get broken into two groups totally. oh no am i in the good yeah. group or the bad group yeah, yeah. so um, so yeah it was a. Uh, it was really nice to have that validation and um, it really changes your schedule a lot because... Um, in a good way or a bad way? Uh, people have different thoughts on that because, you know, when you're in the core, you're dancing all the time. And then if you're lucky enough to be doing bigger roles, you're doing that on top of your core right. roles. So on the one hand, you're really tired and you're on a lot, but you also get really comfortable on stage. It's like your second home. Mm. Like you don't feel nervous. You feel very like you're like on a roll. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you're a soloist, you suddenly kind of all those core roles drop away and you haven't quite built up your other reps. So it's like, you're kind of in a no man's land and your schedule just you have bigger decreases spaces, so dramatically yeah. and it becomes really up to you a lot more to make sure stay, you stay at that level of stamina and shape that you've been in because you've been working so hard. So, oh you know, for me, I, I really liked the slower schedule. It was better for my body because I was more prone to injury. Oh, but okay. at the same time, the having to really watch out for yourself that you still have stamina by the time the season starts and stuff. It was kind of a, an adjustment. So what do you do? Take extra classes outside of company classes or? Yeah, people do that. They do Pilates, they do gyrotonics. Um, sometimes it's just like you So it's really self-motivated at that point then. Yeah, sometimes you just call your own rehearsals and really? you have to be, you know, and you kind of, you know, might, maybe you'll ask for a ballet master to be there or a friend and you kind of try to make sure that you, um, what we call run it, which is when you do something without mm-hmm. stopping, because sometimes um, it really changes how you how you do. You Good know, because it's yeah. like if you're rehearsing and stopping all the time, individual sections might feel great, but when you put them all together, it really changes everything. Yeah. So you have to be wary because you know the ballet masters are juggling a lot, and sometimes they might not realize that you haven't run something. Because sometimes you have to be like, can we just do this without stopping? Because you know, like they might True. not. They're seeing. 100 they're people looking a day little, yeah. and they're trying to make you as perfect as possible yeah. before you go on stage and sometimes you have to go like I know it's not perfect but I gotta get through it <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see if I can run this marathon here yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah it takes a lot of uh, personal responsibility yeah uh, just because of the way just because of reality the way it is it's like unless you have I guess a personal coach that you can pay to keep with you all the time I mean like you yeah. really everyone's got a big job to do so you have to which I guess yourself. for you or for some people like in your situation where you were in the core for long enough to at least have some maturity on mm-hmm. how to handle it, I can't imagine if you move through the ranks so quickly you might not have that yeah. wherewithal to be thoughtful about how to do it yeah more slow you know yeah some people are really good at 
good about that. And I always admired um, people who were thrust a lot at a really young age and dealt with it really well. Mm -hmm. I always admired that. I knew I would not have been able to do that. (laughs) It was better for me to be on a slower track, (laughs) but I, I really admire that. You know, I think it, it, it does show a great strength of character. Um, And some, but sometimes it's also a a personalities that are less bogged down uh, by Mm -hmm. small, small insecurities or small slights. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people who actually are, you know, pay less attention to those little mm-hmm. thorns actually do better. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's not being a perfectionist in a funny way. Well, I agree. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting, mm-hmm. even at the young age of my daughter and her mm-hmm. peers, I can see exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. amongst the ones that are quite talented. Mm-hmm. I can see the variety of personalities and how mm-hmm. yeah. a, a laid back approach could be beneficial. <laughs> yeah, it can be sometimes. <laughs> in this world. And that was something that they I can't make a person that yeah, no, that was something that I still work on, like, to mm-hmm. this day, even in my new role, I still, um, I still try to be keep chill. the attitude that <laughs> I felt like in dancing was the most useful, which is, like, you, you work hard and do your best every day, and you try to pay attention and make yourself better, but you also can't just lose yourself in a mental cycle of, like, you know, worrying about every little thing and, you know, like, getting yeah. upset over every little thing. It's just, yeah, that's it doesn't work like well for me. Learning the art of big picture. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. like, what's the big picture here? That's a perfect you way know? to put it. Exactly. Because I've always, my whole life, for whatever reason, I've always been able to say what's the worst that could happen. And then mm-hmm. it helps you back up a little mm-hmm. and not panic. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you have to be like, you know what, things are pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I am lucky. <laughs> and it's hard in this industry, I would think, to live more in the present and mm-hmm. be aware of where you are and appreciative mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know blessed because it's such a industry of upward mobility and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of industries are like that too yeah. but you know it's yeah. trying to figure out how to be in the present so that you actually have strong yeah. memories yeah. that are yeah of value versus yeah. always rushing for that next 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 yeah. you know? and I think that's also that was something I didn't really um, that's something I really had to, you know, force myself to learn mm-hmm. also. But it's funny looking back now, people often ask me now that I've retired if I miss dancing, and I really don't. Because <laughs> um, I really felt like I stopped at the right time and I had a really good career. Um, and I really relish having a normal life now. Um, right. But I think actually when I look back on it, like the thing I miss the most is actually being in the core and the camaraderie and just the... The sisterhood. The sisterhood and also like the feeling of being on stage with your best friends, mm-hmm. feeling really comfortable not necessarily feeling that all the limelight was on you and therefore not all the pressure, but also having the feeling that if you do really well, people do notice. And Mm -hmm. I think that is something special about the core here, especially. And that's why we have a lot of senior core members who, you know, stay into their thirties and it's because they feel very valued and because they know that people know their names, people pay attention Mm -hmm. to what they do, how they dance matters. Like they're not scenery. So that's true. That's actually what I, it's not like a, a, role to be embarrassed about it's actually one of pride it's great pride yeah and not just in the like they have great pride in themselves and their work and the company has great pride in them Mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things that um megan fairchild said that she was moved so quickly she Mm -hmm. said she wished that she had been able to be in the core longer because it was a a very special time and i could see that bond you know there's something unique about the way girls bond together i mean Mm -hmm. yeah at my age it's like my girlfriends are, are so much more valuable to me than so much in my life, you know? And I think that there's yeah. something magical about finding a sisterhood. Yeah. yeah. And I think Megan is one of those people who I looked at taking on a great, great mm-hmm. burden in such an excellent way. And I could see someone listening to her saying something like that and being like, 
well, but you, you know, became a principal at whatever, you know, like, how could you, how could you say that you mm-hmm. missed that? But it's like, it's really true. And I, I think that what she's saying makes a lot of sense. And that's what I appreciated so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so impressed in that interview was that she was so humble and, and vulnerable and that mm-hmm. she said that she actually was super depressed because mm-hmm. it was that a long period of time of that imposter syndrome where mm-hmm. I don't belong here. What am I doing? And yeah. so, yeah. you know, she said it took her a while to get past that. And I could see that, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this particular industry. Oh yeah, absolutely. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, like what you said, the day that you walked in as an apprentice and there's mm-hmm. all these names mm-hmm. standing next to you. And yeah. you know, like yeah. on one hand you feel like pulling out a pad of paper and getting a, <laughs> an autograph. On yeah. the other hand, you're supposed yeah. to behave like they yeah. are. You know? Yeah. But then there's like, you know, I remember a great moment of being in a, in a rehearsal with learning something good, like a solo or something. And being with people who are older than me, but looking in the mirror and thinking, I belong here. Like I remember having a moment learning a solo and thinking, I look good. Like that would you know, be like so I'm holding cool. my own. You that know? would be really neat. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's a it's a wealth of every kind of moment and emotion and experience encapsulated in this career. And and two extremes because it's the big leagues, you know, like it is the big leagues. New York, yeah. It's New York City Ballet, it's mm-hmm. New York, it's world tours to amazing places. It's like shoot, just walking in the theater. <laughs> yeah. I mean I got the opportunity the other day to go see Avon Ailey's show mm-hmm. because I had interviewed Sarah Daly who's in the in the company and I mean for all that I love about ballet and all that I've you know, been doing with this podcast. I've never walked into that theater before mm-hmm. yeah. the other day. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. a really big, mm-hmm. amazing, it was it was kind of moving. Mm-hmm. My daughter, on the other hand, had been in there quite a few times last summer. So mm-hmm. she's like, oh yeah, you she's haven't been it. here before. <laughs> like, no, I haven't really actually seen yeah. professional ballets. You know, mm-hmm. it's like kind of a, I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. this environment, yeah. you know, just by being around it. But, yeah. um, you know, not many people do get those gifts of walking into this theater it's, yeah it's a really special yeah, it was place. really quite amazing yeah. I still it's you know gorgeous. I walk I walk right pa- to work I walk right past the Philharmonic and the Met and the Fountain I and I go to work it's like it's kind of crazy well, it's one of the guys that I interviewed um dances with um Australia Ballet and mm-hmm. he his office where he trains in the season is at the Sydney Opera House mm-hmm. I said so that's your because I asked him I said have you had like an I made it moment and he goes I don't think I have and I said you walk up the steps of the Opera House every day to work. Isn't that an I made it moment? And he's like, oh yeah, I guess I have. And so yeah. I made him take a picture of himself on the steps saying I've made it. And so he sent that to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like sometimes yeah. it takes realizing where you are, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, yeah, totally. Oh my gosh, I'm actually physically here every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. But um, so how many years were you a soloist then? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I can't. I think I got promoted in 2006, um, and I retired in 2011. So okay. I think five years. Um, so yeah, I mean, I really loved the roles I got to do. I, I mostly did like the kind of Balanchine, Leotard ballets, like Agon and Fortes and Rubies, things like that. I also got to do things like Lilac Fairy and um, you know some. I, the roles I did were all suited to sort of tall women. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. How was, tall are you? Um, like. A little over five seven. Okay. So on the sort of short spectrum of tall here, <laughs> um, but yeah, I got to you know I kind of had the sort of quintessential Balanchine like solo girl body. So you know, and that was the style of dancing I liked the best. It was mm-hmm. what I felt the most comfortable in. So it was a really good fit for me. Um, so yeah, I think after about five years, I had one really sort of uh, like catastrophic injury in the course of that from like uh, 
in 2008, uh, 2007 to 2008. So I was basically essentially out for a year. Oh gosh. Um, and that was a really life-changing year for me because that's when I discovered filmmaking. And thanks again for listening today. And be sure to tune in for my next show when I present to you part two of Ellen's interview where she shares with us her journey into filmmaking. And it's really a great story, so be sure to come back for that. I'd also love for you to stop by my website and check out Ellen's show notes page where I include videos of some of her projects as media director with New York City Ballet. So until next time, have a great day. Mm